Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Thursday, November 5th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. We talk Chiefs today with Herbie Teope, Sam McDowell, Sam Mellinger, and Vahe Gregorian, and start with a quick scout of Sunday's opponent, the Carolina Panthers. The conversation turns to a column Melly wrote that you can find in the show notes and on KansasCity.com about why the Chiefs are the ideally assembled team in a politically divided country. We also get into the Chiefs' rookie class. They're getting excellent contributions from many first-year players, and we wrap up the show with how we think the second half of the season unfolds. So here we go, talking Chiefs. Hey, good morning, and welcome to the Kansas City Stars' weekly meet and greet that we call Sports Beat Live, where we talk Chiefs football and the game coming up this weekend against the Carolina Panthers with... The people who cover the team for the star, and let's uh, let's meet and greet them. Sam McDowell's here. Good morning, Sam. What's going on, guys? Uh, you sound good. Sam Mellinger, how you doing? <laughs> doing well. Great, great. Vahe Gregorian is here. What's up, Vahe? Blair, I'm doing fine. I, I hope you'll take notice of my uh, 1993 Big Eight Skyriders uh, T-shirt, one of my newer T-shirts. Uh, I busted it out in, in, uh, honor of Billy Tubbs. Excellent. Great call. Great call. I know you had a good time, um, uh, writing, uh, the memories of Billy Tubbs earlier this week. We had a great time talking about it on a podcast. Um, and also, uh, crashing the party, Herbie Teope is here. Hey, Herbie. Peace. What's up, fellas? This, man, this is streamlined. <laughs> we got, we, we are streamlined. Herbie just zooms right into these uh, these conversations. It's great to see you, Herbie. Uh, as I said, uh, Chiefs Carolina Panthers at Arrowhead Stadium on at noon on Sunday. Uh, the three and five Carolina Panthers against the seven and one Chiefs. Let's start where we always do and get some get a news update with uh, from Herbie. The Panthers and uh, we, we talk injury report for for the Panthers game. Let's start with the Chiefs. Two players did not practice on Wednesday, and there was an interesting limited practice participant on Wednesday as well. Herbie, run it down for us. Yeah, absolutely. The two players who did not practice, Mitchell Schwartz with the back injury. Uh, To me, it just makes perfect sense to go ahead and just rest him because the Chiefs are on a bye next week. So give him the extra week before you need him back in the lineup. Mike Remmers Remmers has been doing a pretty good job there at right tackle anyway, so I don't think you need to rush Schwartz back. Frank Clark, swollen knee. Uh, Coach Andy Reid said Wednesday that it was a rest day for him. So even even though he didn't practice, probably just take it easy on that veteran. You know what he can do. Sammy Watkins, uh, hamstring injury in week five, missed the past three games, got in a limited practice on Wednesday. Um, and we'll right. see what happens with him um, the rest of the week. Okay. Well, the one that surprised me a little bit was Frank Clark, but you just said that it's uh, just some rest for a veteran, you think? Yeah, because Reed actually said that. We're just, I think he said his exact quote was, we're resting him, end quote. We the still- other thing there from the injury report was, uh, you know, they did welcome back two players as well. Anthony Sherman is finally off the reserve COVID list, so he's back to practice. And then um, the rookie cornerback, Legereus Sneed, was designated to return. Reed did mention yesterday during his Wednesday press conference that he would return to practice. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Sneed was out there. Yep. Uh, hey, listen, we welcome your questions and comments, and we'll get to as many of them as we can. Brian LeBurge asked specifically about Sneed, so maybe we'll see 
him back in action after that great start. What three games uh, played, a couple of interceptions, terrific start for for the rookie. We're going to talk a little bit about the rookie class a little bit later today. So, hey, Herbie, while while we have you here, let's just um, let's talk a little bit about the Panthers, what they're about. Uh, I mentioned that they're three and five, but they're they're getting a key component back this week. Yeah, and it looks like they're going to have that elite running back, Christian McCaffrey, back in the lineup. Uh, during his teleconference yesterday with, with the Chiefs media corps, uh, Matt Rule was specifically asked about him, and he said, hey, he looked good out there, uh, but we just want to see how his body reacts. And he's a – when you have Christian McCaffrey in the lineup, that's, that's a completely different dynamic to the Panthers. What they're about. Offense. Sorry? No, you're good. Keep going. Oh. <laughs> That's a completely different dynamic to the Panthers' offense that they've been missing since week two. He, he suffered a high ankle sprain, and then he's been out. They do have their own version of thunder and lightning going here if McCaffrey plays, because Mike Davis has picked up the slack there. I know it's easy to overlook the Panthers, but they have some weapons over there. Because if McCaffrey is playing, you've got Robbie Anderson. who have got 688 yards receiving. He's on pace for his first career 1,000-yard campaign. You've got D.J. Moore over there. You've got Curtis Samuel. And, and Teddy Bridgewater, you know, he, he can make some throws. He's not Cam Newton. He's not going to give you that, that component on the ground. But Bridgewater can make some throws. So if you get McCaffrey back in the offense, that's a, that's a weapon that the Chiefs have to account for. He, he's elite. When, when he's healthy, um, where do you rank him among NFL running backs? Oh, easily top five. Easily. Easily top five. This guy can do it all. He can run, and then the biggest thing that he gives them is out of the out of the backfield as a receiver. Uh, McCaffrey allows the Panthers to be balanced, and that's the biggest thing to keep the, the, the defense on their toes because you can split him wide. He's the kind of guy, kind of like the Chiefs, like to use Edwards Allaire, their vision to use Edwards Allaire. You can, McCaffrey is a guy that you can split up wide, split him in the slot. He's just a dangerous running back. Okay, and you mentioned Teddy Bridgewater, who uh, you know completing more than seventy percent of his passes this year. He's faced the Chiefs once in his career, which started, I think, in twenty fourteen. I'm going to ask Sam Mellinger if he remembers the one Teddy Bridgewater start against the Chiefs. May not you, you may not. It certainly wasn't with the Panthers. Yeah, no, I don't. I remember. Um, dang it, I failed. Well, you'll you'll yeah. you'll. What's that? It was up in Minneapolis at the University of Minnesota, wasn't it? Yes, he was the he was yeah. <laughs> he was the Vikings yeah, quarterback. I remember, that game. <laughs> I remember that game very well. <laughs> yeah. was, there were so many things that happened that day that uh, Teddy Bridgewater starting just uh, yeah yeah it doesn't that doesn't <laughs> rank. That was that was a crazy day for a lot of reasons, not the least of which the Royals were going through their their postseason ALCS right. They were between games against the Blue Jays. So you and I, I remember Sunday morning, flew up to Minneapolis, covered yeah. that game at the uh, at the University of Minnesota football stadium. It wasn't the, – the, the U.S. Bank stadium wasn't up uh, – wasn't built yet. And uh, so much happened in that game. But uh, that was the last Chiefs loss before running yeah. up a 10-game winning streak. Yeah, there, there, there were three things that stick out the most from that day, and none of them are Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, <laughs> One was it, it was like a thousand degrees below zero that day. Yeah. I remember that. Um, two, I remember the Chiefs lost when their own linemen stripped their running back of the ball on a potential game-winning drive. 
<laughs> Donald, Donald Stevenson stripping uh, Charkandrick West. Charkandrick is awesome. yeah. And and three, uh, we did the 2015 version of this here show in front of a garbage can. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed we did. Because there, because there was no way the Chiefs were going to recover from... No. Uh, from <laughs> they were done. They were cooked. It was over. It was over. Poor Therese. He was just lamenting. He's got another week of just covering the team by himself. and. Yeah. Yeah, you mean that literally too. Like there was a press conference or two where it was only him and Andy. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. So, and they had to fight through Royals traffic, you know, to get to the right. <laughs> get to the stadium. So, um, all right, hey Sam, while while we're uh, while, while we're speaking, uh, I, I really enjoyed your column today, and let's talk about that. It's uh, it's a uh, you know, you may not realize it, but there are some things going on in the world right now in the country besides Chiefs football. And uh, Sam, you you touched on it in, in a column that I, like I said, I really enjoyed. And it has to do with a topic that uh, that Jesse Newell and I spoke about earlier this week, and how I just find that athletes and organizations are a little bit more politically active this year than they have been. In, in previous election cycles, um, with the the examples of uh, voter encouragement by by athletes, and just the physical presence of their using their their stadiums and arenas as polling places, which I think you know that's like a what a great idea. Why didn't we think of it before? Sort of thing. And I, I'll guarantee you, if this continues to 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 be allowed. In future elections, they'll, they'll, I think it'll help increase voter turnout. Just the ease and of parking and, and going to a you know football stadium to vote. So, what inspired you to write it, and, and why does it see, why do the Chiefs seem to be a team where this works? Yeah, well, um, here, here's a fun fact: uh, the the first person that I ever heard um, bring up this topic, excuse me, of using stadiums and arenas as polling places, Scott Pioli. Uh, many, many years ago, this must have been like around 2009, 2010, something like that. And um, he, he's been he's done a lot of great work, um, you know, with civil rights and, and voting rights and, and all these things. But um, anyway, I mean, this is the first election cycle that I can remember. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. Two years ago, I don't think they were using what was then Sprint Center or anything else. Um, and it, it just it just hit me that. um we are so divided, right? That, that's not like a new thing. Um, and, and the chiefs are this group of people in, in this environment where families and long friendships are sometimes like splintered um, or even worse. The chiefs are like this hodgepodge of people like chosen because they've won the genetic lottery and, you know, all this happenstance and they're just there together in this locker room. And they've got some shared experiences by now, but um in that environment where, where athletes have typically just ignored all politics and just said, I'm all about the ball. Um, you know, that's all I'm concentrating on hundred percent. They've dived headfirst into the most intense, divisive discourse in America, not just right now, but that I can remember in my lifetime. And while they're doing that, they need to work together and sacrifice you know, personal goals in some ways or personal fame, personal shine uh, for, for the betterment of the team. And they've done it beautifully. They're, you know, they're seven and one. They're a lot of people, including me, and I'm not going to speak for any of you, but think they're the best team in football. And um, it, it just, 
when, when I think about this, I want to say, God, that's a template. Like we can all do that because uh, we can all talk about things like respectfully and talk about issues. Um, but I also know that that's not accurate. Like they're, they're the anomaly, you know, like they're the exception. And then that's where it gets kind of sad uh, for me that they've been, and, and that to me is the power of shared ambitions and shared goals. And, and that's why they're doing it. Um, you know, you, you may not have a Super Bowl <laughs> on the line with your friendship that, that got broken up, but these guys do have a Super Bowl. I, I think that that the power of shared common goals is, is pretty powerful. And I, I wish that that was an example for the like that, that we could have a more respectful political dialogue. But to me, it just it, it kind of shows how far we've gone. What do you guys think? Say, I, I'll I'll just chime in with a, a couple things. First of all, Sam, I I, I thought that was terrific. I, I thought it was really sophisticated and thought provoking in in so many ways because the way you were able to apply it to the broader canvas of of the world at large. And I you know kudos. And it reminded me a little bit of something um, you did a few years ago. It was it was different, but reminiscent of it when you got with uh, Dustin Colquitt and Chris Conley. Mm-hmm. Two guys who are different sides of the political spectrum, at least as we understood it. And, yeah. um, you know, you were able to drill into the things, the dynamics of a locker room, in the, of a healthy locker room. Right. And I guess that's, that's the bigger point. And in your column today, you, you, I think you made a, a good point about Clark Hunt's sort of consent in this. But I, but I also think that um, the, the, the linking – uh, connective tissue, if you will, it also is Andy Reid in the sense that what Andy Reid is able to to cultivate in there um, and and get through to his teams and and has been I think encouraged to do through Clark Hunt and Mark Donovan and yeah. Brett Beach. So uh, all of it is is it's really interesting and, and naturally Blair, you already advocated this, but I I, I certainly urge anybody listening to uh, to to read that too. Yeah, they, I mean, it, it is an interesting dynamic that, um, you know, Clark Hunt has been a long and consistent Republican donor. And, you know, we don't know Andy Reid's voting record. He's not whatever. But like he, he did publicly endorse and, and um, he was involved in a fundraiser for a Republican candidate for, for Kansas governor. We presume we don't know, but I, I presume anyway, that Patrick Mahomes and Tyron Matthew are <laughs> leaning left. Um, and it's just, it really is interesting to me that those two groups of people are coming together. Now, there's there's public pressure. Right. Um, you know, Clark Hunt wasn't doing this four years ago. Um, you know, there, there's been some public pressure. So maybe you can be cynical and think it's just optics um, and you can be cynical on the player side and think that they're getting pushed into this um, by some other people. But the fact remains, they're still working together. People that we presume or at least I presume vote very differently and believe differently um, politically. And, and it's just, it's a cool thing. They came together and I don't know how many people, I mean, we, we could know how many people voted at Arrowhead, I think, but we don't know how many of those people wouldn't have voted otherwise, but it's more than a couple. Um, and, and that's, I think that's, that's good for all of us. Hey, one last thing, then I'll get out of the way. I did, you know, we saw the governor of Pennsylvania last night, make a reference to a, a stress test, right. With lawsuits being brought yeah. and things like that. And the reason I bring that up is, when you when you note that point about public pressure and and all that, there was a time where public pressure brought about different responses than this. And I, I guess I think that's that's so public pressure or not. I, I think it speaks a little bit to, you know, the idea that we can evolve whatever, for lack of a better term that, yeah. you know, we, we learn and we, and we maybe we get better. 
Yep. In the NFL has to start with Colin Kaepernick. I mean, he started all this back in 2016. And you remember in Seattle, I, I, you know, Sam, when you mentioned everyone coming together, I think of Seattle, Richard Sherman, Doug Baldwin, Michael Bennett, all those guys spoke out way back when uh-huh. they had the support of the team. I think like that's that's the key thing there. You know, you mentioned Clark Hunt supporting the players. You mentioned Andy Reid supporting the players. I don't think we'll ever see any, this level of support in Dallas from Jerry Jones, but you certainly see it around some of these other teams. And this is the reason why they're able to use their platforms effectively to get the message out there. Come out and vote, and you know, mention some of the issues that are that that are dogging the nation right now. So it, a lot of that has to come in play. You got to have the support of your organization. But I think when I think over the last four or five years of how all this, where we are today in the National Football League with players using the platform, I always got to give credit to Colin Kaepernick. I know he's a lot of he's a dynamic person that a lot of people don't think too highly of, but he started this. It was all because of Colin. I, I think two things probably stand out to me. Um, for, well, first of all, Sam's column's great. And the fact that he he was able to sort of connect that to what's going on now in, in broader society, I thought was just terrific. Um, but, you know, when you look up donors, you know, Clark Hunt still did donate to Republican senator races this year. And for him to support what his players are doing, his message is this is beyond politics to me. And so I, I, that's one of my takeaways. My second is, you've got to already have a strong locker room to, for this to happen. And so this also is suggestive of what the Chiefs already had in place before this. They were prepared to absorb an issue like this because of their leadership, because of guys like Tyron Matthew, Patrick Mahomes, and specifically Andy Reid. Because you can't form this together all of a sudden when, when you don't have that, that structure in place beforehand and then say, hey, let's make this work. That structure has to already be there and then you guys can have a healthy conversation. I will say it was, um, I, I don't know if it was illuminating, but Patrick Mahomes did say they didn't talk. And Sam, you mentioned this in your column. They, they didn't specifically talk about the candidates involved. And mm-hmm. so they did stop short maybe of that line that they thought maybe be maybe could cause a little bit more stress than, than the issues that they were discussing as a team. Yeah, that, that last point is such an important one about um, – you know, here I go with the analogies, right? But like, if if you're in a relationship with your spouse, and and it's a good relationship, and now one of you loses your job, or one of you gets sick, or whatever, like you you, you can get through that, right? Like you can pull together and all that stuff. But if you're a rocky, and something happens, like you might you might you might splinter, you you might break up. And I think about that a lot about the Chiefs in 2019 going into 2020 have never. Uh, well, I shouldn't. I mean, since 1970, I guess been in a better position to like come together and, 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 and get through some adversity. And, you know, if this thing hit in 2011, um, you know, basically anytime between 2008 and 2013, um, it might be a very different result, but that, yeah, that it starts, I really do like head coaches get too much credit. I think a lot of times, but uh, not here. Um, I, I do think that starts with Andy, um, and, and Mahomes and Matthew and Frank, like all these guys, have a part in that, but it does start with the head coach for sure. But it certainly doesn't hurt to have a mega superstar like Mahomes leading the charge there. I mean, think about the players coalition, a couple, when that video came out over the summer, the players coalition embraced the fact that Mahomes was part of that because they know that he is the face of the NFL. 
I mean, Roger Goodell, it's already, you know, it's reported that Goodell reached out to Mahomes after that video came out. And that's the power of Mahomes. You also can't overlook that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's different if James Winchester gets on there and starts talking, right? Like and there's not, not, not all players are created equal. But we love James Winchester. We sure do. Yeah, we do. So, uh, but, a couple but Roger Goodell loves Mahomes more than James. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, they do play some favorites in the NFL. Um, so, yeah, my bottom line is hearts and minds may not change, but they're open. Yeah, they're, they've been open yeah. with the Chiefs, right? And uh, and this and, and I heard earlier first for this show in when. Um, uh, when Vahe called Sam Mellinger sophisticated, I believe that is uh, <laughs> absolutely a first. Uh, his, writing, show. <laughs> his writing certainly is, and we'll leave it at that. Um, um, all right, hey, let, let's let's switch gears. Hey, one of the one of the strengths I think of this locker room, and listen, we all touched on it in some way. Winning, winning helps. <laughs> winning helps everything, but. Uh, one place where it seems to be helping is at running back, where the Chiefs bring in Le'Veon Bell. There's already Clyde Edwards-Alaire having, you know, a terrific season. And uh, and Herbie, you wrote about this today. Um, what, what did you What did you discover in uh, from talking to Andy and 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 uh, Ceh yesterday? I mean, it was pretty simple. I mean, it, it was. To, to, you know, I started off with Eric Bieniemy a couple of weeks ago telling us that. Bell reached out to Edwards Alaire to find out if it was okay for him to come here. And, and that, to me, that's always fascinating because you don't hear of that too often where a veteran, an accomplished veteran like Bell, reaches out to a rookie. And then, so we asked CEH yesterday, he said it was all about respect. You know, it was a man to man thing and it was all about respect. And you could tell that he appreciated that, that effort. CEH says, you know, some of the things that he's picked up in just the short time they've been together is how to approach practice and, you know, how to approach the game week. But the other thing that I found interesting was when uh, Edwards Alaire said it's also about competition. And, hey, if, if these two players are pushing each other, that only helps the team, in my opinion. And speaking of Edwards Alaire, I, I, I did a little story this morning on um, – I've been really impressed with this first-year class, the rookie class of, of the Chiefs this year. You remember after the Super Bowl – we thought they would lose some players to free agency. It turns out the only ones they lost were were uh, Fuller and Wisniewski. So, at that moment, Ragland, at, at Reggie Ragland. That's right. But of the of the twenty two that started the Super Bowl, I don't think Ragland started the Super Bowl. Um, but he but he was a you know he's a quasi starter. So, um, the Chiefs were going to return twenty nineteen or twenty of twenty two Super Bowl starters. What what roles would first year players have on the twenty twenty Chiefs? Well. You know, then things happen, right? Damian Williams opts out, and uh, the Chiefs, you know, just before that happened, the Chiefs drafted a rookie uh, running back in the, with their first round pick. The, um, you know, they draft a linebacker with the, you know, with the second round pick, and all of a sudden they're getting contributions from, you know, from Willie Gay, Legereus Sneed, Clyde Edwards Alaire, uh, their fourth round pick, Lucas Niang drops out, but, um, uh, but, but even the, the undrafted free agents, Tershawn Wharton, who I noticed this week uh, by uh, uh, via Pro Football Focus is rated the the third best rookie defensive player this season. Tershawn Wharton, mm-hmm. uh, that's amazing. So, what does it say about the Chiefs that they're um, they're able to get this kind of production from a first year class? I didn't compare it to other NFL teams' first you know rookie classes, 
But I got to think that the Chiefs are maximizing um, their rookies as, as well as anybody this year. I think so too, Blair. And just to tie together some of the stuff that that all this stuff connects with um, your question to Andy Reid yesterday about um, how the benefits of a Super Bowl winning locker room, right? Coming into that, and uh, Andy it agreed with the thought, but also added a a really important point, which is doesn't matter as much if people aren't willing to share and and you know take people in and look from 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 Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes and all these other things it, it's certainly been a pattern and very interesting sort of inside out aspect of it is that Le'Veon Bell approach kind of you know coming into there bringing something different than people might have seen him as right it didn't end well in Pittsburgh or New York with Le'Veon Bell um there was a thought that, you know, how's he going to fit here exactly? And one way or another, I don't know if, if the reputation of the Chiefs locker room preceded itself and he just knew he had to, you know, get into it right away or, or if it was just the way he really is. But it, it certainly suggested a cultural fit um, right away. And so all that stuff seems to be, uh, you know, one, one, one big message about what the Chiefs represent. To your point, um, Blair, the thing that impresses me the most about this rookie class is the fact that they're producing without the benefit of organized team activities, a traditional structured training camp. Because remember, this was an abbreviated training camp they went through. And to to Vahe's point, fantastic point. You know, it comes down to are the players willing to share their knowledge. And when we had uh, Tershawn Wharton yesterday, I specifically asked him, you know, when did you know you arrived? And then he pointed out his battles with Kalichi Alfamelli, which, which I found a little fascinating there because now you have this proven veteran who's a blocker and he's sharing stuff and he's, he's helping Wharton get better. And that's, that's huge. That's just tremendous. Look, the, the, the present of this, <clears throat> the present of this team is built through their veterans that they have coming back from last year but the future of this team is still going to be built through the draft. When you look at the contracts that they signed in this offseason, when you look at what the salary cap is going to do next year, um, they're going to have high-dollar high players that they don't have to deal with right now. And you've got to have the, the, the cheaper labor, so to speak, and that comes through the draft. And, and so, you know, the, the Chiefs drafted last, obviously. Theoretically, they should have the worst draft class in the league because of their positioning. You know, they, they identified guys that I think not a lot of other teams were on. You know, they, they, they made a move to get Legereus Sneed earlier. They got Tershawn Wharton. I know some other teams were in on him, um, but they were able to bring him here partly because they had won a Super Bowl, of course. But I, the, the, the Chiefs scouting department and their pro personnel department are, are so into realizing that this is the future of their team. They, they still have to develop the players. Just because they have a really talented team in 2020 doesn't mean they still have to be looking towards the future. Yeah, that's a good point. Brian LaBerge says it's not just the rookies, it's second-year guys like Allegretti. And I was, going to, I was about to make that point, but the 2019 draft with, you know, with McCole Hardman, Juan Thornhill, and Allegretti was a, was a terrific one, too. This was after a couple of years of not getting as much production uh, out of the draft. You know, after, after Patrick Mahomes in, in, um, in 17, you know, uh, Kareem Hunt was part of it, too. But after that, not much. 2018 – that was really not a, a, a great, as it turns out, not a great draft for the Chiefs. But these last two, I think, have just been terrific for them. Hey, it's Blair. 
we have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. So we're at the mid, midway point of uh, of the for the Chiefs season. Not everybody, everybody in the NFL has played eight or seven games. I I think everybody will have played eight games. I don't know if there's a seven a team that's played seven with a bye week this week. I think after this weekend, everybody will have played eight. And time to do some um, uh, some uh, mid season evaluation of this team. But instead of doing the the traditional, Herbie's going to get into it in a big way next week with the, with the Chiefs, but. Uh, I've noticed a lot of the the national shows are talking about MVP and where Patrick Mahomes ranks in that race. Um, and what I've, what I'm seeing a lot of is Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers. So it's eight games in. Um, uh, I think Russell Wilson has some remarkable stats through eight games, but Mahomes and Rodgers do too. Let's just keep it at this. What you know. Let's let's evaluate Mahomes. What, what kind of what kind of season is he having? The numbers suggest he's having a fantastic season. But is this even better than 2018 when he went for 50 and, and 5,000 yards? I'll throw it up to anybody. Yeah, I I feel pretty strongly about this. I I think he is significantly better than he's ever been, um, and and I, I think that includes um, that rookie season when he, when he not rookie but his first year as a starter when he won the MVP. Uh, just because I, I think that. Um, <laughs> I'm going to use this word maturity, uh, but it makes me laugh because, you know, young Patrick or whatever. Uh, so now that he's this like grizzly 25 year old veteran, um, but he, he, he's so good at, um, at, at avoiding mistakes and avoiding, you know, like that, that, that risk reward calculus, like he's always been really good at when he threw 50 touchdowns, um, his first year, it was 12 interceptions, right? Um, that's a damn good ratio. Um, but now it's even better. Like he's, he's figured out exactly when and where uh, to move that line. And, um, you know, it, I, I think it's telling, we've talked about this before, but I think it's telling that the one interception that he threw was on fourth down when they were down eight on a play where we later found out the tight end ran the wrong route. <laughs> and look like, you know, the Patriots could have had one or two um, just like everybody. Yeah. Else. That's the yeah. one interception that he's actually thrown. And it was in that situation. I think that speaks a lot to sort of where, where he's on this, you know, the risk reward calculus. He's also, he's also running the ball, um, you know, a lot more. Uh, seven, I looked this up the other day. He's got seven third down scrambles for first down, which uh, is the same number as Lamar Jackson. <laughs> Pretty good. Wow. You know, it's not just that he's only thrown one interception. He's only turned the ball over once. And for a quarterback, I mean, especially one that's been pressured a lot this year, that that's a pretty significant stat. To me, he's mentally better. And that probably sums up, I guess, what Sam said. But he's mentally better than I think he's ever been. It's It's really hard for a guy like Patrick Mahomes with his arm not to take the risk. 
And I think that just takes a men, uh, just a mental approach that maybe a lot of young guys. And uh, I mean, if we can still call him young Patrick at 25, that not a, not a lot of young guys might have, especially when they've got his talent. You know, I mean, we've seen all the different ways he can get a pass off and it, it's got to be tempting. And for, for he's, he's still like, like Sam said, he's not taking the risk. I and mean, it's because the way defenses are playing him and because the way his own defense is playing, he says he doesn't need to, doesn't need to, and doesn't want to, or two different things. Yeah. Because it, it's, you bring up a good point. Cause uh, it's, it's gotta be super tempting for him, especially because he knows he could throw six really stupid interceptions and just kind of walk to the side like, eh, that was fun. You know, he's still going to be court. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, he's got to be like so super just self disciplined on that. Uh, and, and it, you know, his his reputation coming out of college is so different than than what we've seen right now in, in, in that respect. What, one thing I want to just add to that, it's, it's, it's sort of just affirming what you guys said, but. You know, since he's been in the NFL and, and part of this was just, you know, his own growth and maturity as he as he was coming along from Texas Tech to here. But part of it, I, I assume, had to do with his redshirt year with with Alex Smith helping him. But when he got when he got into his first full season as starter, you never could think of him as reckless. I mean, right. you could think he might take some chances then that he wouldn't take now. And Sam McDowell got into that pretty well with that story last week, especially with Sam I, I love that that uh, that that one quote in particular about he just said he's fighting his nature in some ways about you know to sort of check it down a little. But I, so now we're seeing that he's gone from that to just a really more refined version of it as things get more and more difficult for him. Really, right? There's more of a book on him. People are trying different things. He's had to win in different ways. Be more patient. Um, find his chances. I, I don't know. It's uh, I, I'd find it hard to argue against him as as the MVP. I get that he's the guy we see all the time, and we have a greater appreciation of that than we might with, with guys we just see on TV now and then. One one more point on this, Blair, is that, you know, last year when Sammy Watkins was out, there was some trouble with the Chiefs. And Tyreek Hill is getting defended in a way like he's never been defended before. You're, you're without Watkins – um, McCall Hardman hasn't taken the step, although the last couple of weeks, I think he, he's shown some signs, but early on in the season, he hadn't taken the step forward. You expected out of him. Demarcus Robinson hasn't been as productive on a per game basis as he was last year. And yet here we are talking about this guy being an MVP candidate. He also, I mean, he's missing his running back that he was used to last year. And even if you think the difference between Damian Williams and Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the running game, isn't that significant to me in the passing game, that is, it's been a stark difference between those two guys. So I, I, I think there's a lot of factors maybe that haven't worked in his favor, and yet yet here we are talking about this guy in this way. That's a good point. That, that, that ball he threw against the Jets last week, oh, against his body to Hardman on the sideline, it looked like it went through yeah. a defender. Yeah. That, was, I mean, it, that play won't get a lot of run because that set up the fourth and one that they didn't get, right? And, uh, but that, that play was just remarkable. Absolutely remark. Who makes? Who else makes that throw? I, I don't know. Blair, I, also, I, oh, oh no. I'll just say real quick. No, I just I, I remember saying I literally said out loud to myself, "How did he do that?" At, at when yeah. he made that play, and then I kind of laughed at myself, like, why, "Why do I ever ask that question?" Even in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was more than him too. Like, um, it wasn't quite the level that the Travis Kelsey mic'd up from last year, where he's like, 
How did you know that I, I, I shouldn't I have done that? I've never done that before, but you knew I was going to do it. Yeah. It wasn't quite that level, but McCall Hardman had to read it as well. And, and, and he ran sort of across that defender. And then, yeah, and then Mahomes had to throw it like through the other guy's body and everything. But um, it was, it, it's, it's interesting to watch those, those guys. And McCall Hardman's still a young guy, obviously, like just sort of grasp a little bit, like think on, you know, they, they've got to raise their games, right? To think on, on his level. Um, and, and it's, it's kind of cool to watch that happen. Eric Bianami talked about that last week, specifically with McCall Hardman is that the, they're working on him with finishing plays. And that, that was a great example of that. Sean Schloss asks, uh, we, we saw the chiefs, uh, have some fun plays against the jets last weekend. Will we see more of that this week or a more conservative approach and, and, and try to win Injury-free. Herbie, what do you think? Um, I was a little bit surprised to see a fake punt against the Jets last week. and uh, But I guess I shouldn't be surprised with anything, right? I mean, it, it, at least when you, when, you, when you flash moments like that, it gives the other team something to, you know, to think about. Yeah, those fake punts, though, it, it really goes down to what you've noticed when you look at the film. And, and so they, they saw how the Jets probably lined up. And they're like, this is the perfect time to call that play. As far as being fun against the Panthers, I don't think you can take the Panthers lightly. Well, not that teams take their opponents lightly, you know, the Jets last week, but the Panthers are still a dangerous team. One of their wins, remember, they went on a three-game winning streak, and one of those wins came against the Arizona Cardinals, who are doing pretty well this year. So I don't think you can go into this game thinking, let's get overly cute here, especially if they have McCaffrey back, because you got to play these guys straight up. I, I thought the fake punt – Herbie's right to make the point that, that part of that's just preparation during the week, what you see. But I do think what was interesting about it, there was – and it's still the first quarter, I guess, and I think it was 7-3 to three at that point. And it, it, I thought it was kind of a statement about that we're taking this game seriously in, in a weird way, like a statement to the team like we need to go for it. We need to, to get at it and, and, and wrestle this beast to the ground, and, and we're not taking anything for granted. And – um, I think that is a harmonious message with with how Andy's been able to keep them uh, in the moment, so to speak. I, I don't I don't think they they approach the Jets game like, well, we're just going to win. I, mean, I, I think they 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 come to play. Yeah, I, I also think that with this group, with the coaching staff and with the talent that they have, like their baseline for vanilla is like different than other teams. You know, <laughs> like they, their, their base is just a certain yeah. level of stuff that, <laughs> oh my gosh, wow. Their vanilla starts with cookie dough in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the Ravens, I just keep thinking back to the Ravens game. That That's that's Andy going all out. And, you know, to, to see that level, like that's sort of their, okay, we, we came to play kind of deal, you know. I thought they were the Harlem Globetrotters that night. The stuff they were doing. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, Kendall Gibson noticed, uh, uh, you know, if Chiefs have played tough first half of the schedule. Maybe Patrick you know, Patrick's on pace for 4,600 yards, could get 5,000. I know we talked about the schedule uh, in our post game on Sunday, but looking at it a little bit closer, uh, the eight games that the Chiefs have left, I, they're a little more interesting than – that I thought at first glance with teams like the Dolphins and with uh, with Tua playing as well as he is or you know, seemingly playing as well as he is and uh, a couple other sort of, you know, Tampa Bay is, is on there. Listen, I, 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 Chiefs are still going to win the division, be in the playoffs. 
um, be a one or a two seed. I'm, I'm almost certain of that. But how does that second half of the season schedule look to you? It's it, is it is it, is it softer than the first half? I, I'm just saying this off the top of my head without looking at it that closely, but I certainly think it's interesting that you've got games at Tampa Bay is a much more interesting game now than I thought it was going to be at the start of the season. Um, and I, I guess uh, obviously at the Raiders that that'll, that'll have some intrigue. And I, I don't think you can assume it's a win just based on the fact they lost at home to them. Um, I dolphins have gotten a little more interesting, haven't they? Sure, um, yeah. So it, I, I don't know if, if you'd say it's more or less thorny, but I, I think it, it, Certainly has its challenges. Yeah, there's there's definitely some roadblocks in there, and just like Vahe mentioned, coming off the bye, going to the Raiders, obviously Amy Reed's record coming off of a bye is phenomenal. So I don't think they're going to get caught, caught flat-footed this time around against Las Vegas. To me, the two biggest ones, the Buccaneers and the Saints, uh, two NFC powerhouses right now, and the Saints look like they're going to get Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders back healthy for the stretch run. Uh, the Dolphins are definitely a, a different team. And so there's some roadblocks in there. Yeah. The other game that's a little bit different than the first half is just the Chargers. The, I think that the Chargers are a weird team to me. They're two and five, but I think they're, they play like a four and three or five and two football team. And they, I mean, the heck what they've blown four straight 16 point leads. Like, I, but that, that team is a talented team. And you, you got Justin Herbert who had taken basically zero first team snaps when you faced him last time. Now you're going to get him in week 17 after he's played a full season. I think that game's going to be a little bit tougher than people think, too. It's interesting. They've got two teams in the second half, the Chargers and the Falcons, that absolutely don't know how to finish games. Um, yeah. have all kinds of problems finishing games. So, All right, so let's go with a, um, uh, let's go with a second half of, of the season prediction uh, record. Chiefs are 7-1 and one now. Um, I does anybody remember where they picked the Chiefs in the in the preseason? But uh, if you do, I'd like to hear it. But but failing that, just how about a how about an eight game record to finish the season, and uh, that'll give us an idea of what we think. That how about an eight game record to finish the season and where they finish seed wise in the AFC? Sam McDowell, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I had them going 14 and two before the year, and I, I still think that's where they finished. Now, I, I thought they would lose to like a Baltimore rather than losing to a Vegas, of course, when you go game by game. But I still think 14 and two makes sense, and I, I think 14 and two would be the one seed. I know, I know Pittsburgh's undefeated. I get it, um, but I, I don't think they're a good enough team to to skate through the rest of the back half of their schedule. How about you, Vahe? Yeah, I, I, I like that. I, I I think I thought thirteen and three come into the season, but I, I you know, we'll 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 know in hindsight. But but I do feel like that first Raiders loss has a little bit of that. Um, I don't know the same effect as that Tennessee game last year. I mean, I think they they knew they were better than that, and I I think they've been on more on point since then in a lot of ways, and I. I think that's the kind of thing that's going to carry them uh, in some ways through the season. I just think they're 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 kind of galvanized and more the team we thought they'd be now. And uh, so I'm I'm happy to go with 14 and two. If if I said 13 and three before, I'll, I'll make that adjustment. And I think Sam's right. I, I I know the Steelers are in the pole position there, but I but I think that would mean um, the Chiefs get the number one seed. They have had great focus since that Raiders loss. Um, all right, Sam Ellinger, what you got? I mean, I basically was just nodding along with every word that Sam McDowell said. I just uh, 
I, I think they're, <laughs> I think they're the best team. Uh, I think they're playing really well. Um, and not just that, but they're improving. I think they're better than last year's Super Bowl champions. Uh, you know, fifteen and one's not out of the question, but uh, I think it's a fourteen and two, maybe thirteen and three. But I, I'd put my money on fourteen and two. And the Steelers are really good. I'm not, you know, they're obviously really good, but I, their offense is a little bit like it's not that dynamic. You know, and I, I feel like that might catch up. Their, their defense is great. Their defense is great. They are tough. They're fast. They're smart. All those things. But um, I, I feel like the offense may catch up to them a little bit. Um, and, and I do think they'd be the number one seed at fourteen and two. Okay, Herbie, close it out. I was probably the only dissenting voice who was nodding my head the other way when McDowell was. With my- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you do that on reflex. Yeah. The Steelers are the number one seed. The Chiefs will take the two. I like what the Steelers are doing. Maybe it's because I'm old school and I love defense and I just love the way they fly around. Uh, but I think the Steelers are going to take the number one seed. Okay, um, I, I, thirteen and three, fourteen and two. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether the Chiefs play home or away. They're absolutely as good on the road as they are at home. And um, yeah. I, I think I think the Chiefs will be the AFC champ and and be in the Super Bowl. Whether they have to play a playoff game at Baltimore, or at Pittsburgh, or or at Tennessee, who anywhere. I, I just I, I just have this team is built to win anywhere in any condition. So. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. It was great catching up with uh, with Vahe, Sam McDowell, Sam Melliger, and Herbie Tiope. And thanks for your questions and comments. That's what uh, fuels this show. We will talk to you again Sunday afternoon after the Chiefs-Panthers game. Uh, one last thank you to, uh, to Beth Welsh, our producer. So take care, have a good rest of the morning, and we'll talk to you Sunday. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. Tip of the cap to the A-team. Herbie Teope, Sam McDowell, Sam Mellinger, and Vahe Gregorian for Talking Chiefs. You can find their stories in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we got another deal for you, especially for those who want to deep dive into the Stars' terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. To get that, go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. You want more than just sports coverage? I know I do. Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage written by national writers through the E-Edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. And I know that's a lot of dots and dashes. And if if you're having trouble hunting down any of these offers, email me at bkirkoff at kcstar.com and I'll get you to the right place. Whether it's a sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting in supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Friday with another episode.